Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about
welcome to Pro Life Fridays Radio. It is Friday, November 15th, 2013. Welcome everybody back to the show. I am your host, Letitia Wong, with my co-host. What up? Hey. Hey, Thomas, how are you? I am good. How are you? I'm good. I am trying to be sunny and cheery for today's show. I have been cranky all week because I'm on this <laughs> you're going to laugh when you hear this I'm on this five day fat burner inferno diet which means that I just eat very little all throughout the day and that Ooh. really makes me cranky <laughs> wow <laughs> uh, good thing today is the last day it was Monday through Friday today is the last day and I am I'm ready to eat something. <laughs> I could eat wow. like ten burritos at this point. Which I can't eat burritos, but I'd love to have ten burritos. Well, don't eat ten burritos. <laughs> uh, I couldn't even have wanted to. That's good. That's good to hear. <laughs> so but ten burritos sounds really good. Uh but Anyway, back to the show. Sorry for the TMI. I don't know if that was TMI. But uh, welcome to Pro Life Fridays, everyone. Our scripture for today and every day and for the affirmation of life comes from Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 19, which reads, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live and so uh, Thomas you uh, do us the honors of praying for us please yes ma'am thank you dear heavenly father in the mighty name of your son Jesus Christ we give you glory honor and praise and first of all Lord God we want to thank you for life for you breathed life into the very first created being, Adam. And from Adam's rib, you you created Eve, the greatest gift other than your son that you could have ever given man was woman. So, Father, we thank you for women and their ability to give life. And we ask you, Lord God, that you continue through Pro-Life Friday's radio to help the message go forth, Lord God, that we continue to be a sounding voice for the unborn, for those who are dealing with life-altering issues, euthanasia, the elderly. Father God, every aspect of life we desire to be a representative, not only of you, but of every facet of life, and also to be a voice for those women who did go through the decision of abortion, the post-abortive, Lord God. Help us to be a voice for them as well, for many of them, succumb to the pressure from those around them. 
we love you, we bless you, and we give you glory, honor, and praise in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So there has been, oh, we have we have way, way, way too much, but we have so much important stuff to go through first uh, that I want to give our, our bulk of our attention to today, and which is we're going to start out with our friend Thomas here, my wonderful co-host for Pro-Life Fridays Radio. You were recently, uh, you are in a recently released documentary called Pro-Life Without Exceptions. And uh, just to summarize, just to summarize really quick, uh, it's about a hundred. It's exactly, exactly a hundred minutes long, and it, it really didn't take long to to watch. I mean, I I thought, I mean, if I sat for an hour watching that, I didn't feel like an hour because the stories were so good and it was so seamless, moving from one story to another, that I was like, oh wow. I mean, I can't believe I listened to all these stories and it's over already. Um, so give us a really, a real quick overview of the documentary Pro-Life Without Exceptions, and I think we're going to have a clip that I'm going to play for you. Okay. Well, Pro-Life Without Exceptions, the documentary, is basically in a nutshell, it deals with those men and women who were either faced with the exceptions clause. What I term the the exceptions clause are those men and women who were conceived under situations or circumstances that society finds less than desirable, incest and medical emergence. Now, for those of you who are listening who may have been conceived in rape or incest and that sort of thing. You know, there's the third wheel, if you will, and that's the medical emergency. So that that was the situation under which I was conceived. So that's basically what the documentary is about. It's giving voice to those 1% who were considered sacrifice, whose lives are considered um, consider worthy of sacrifice for the greater good, if you will. So, mm, and you had a very, you have a very unique, unique circumstance, which I think that's very helpful in how we talk about legal abortion. But first, uh, let's get to the clip. I'm going to play the clip of the doctor that talked about. Uh, the situation where you found yourself being born into, which is an exotic pregnancy. He talks a little bit about that, and then you get to talk about your story a little bit. And so we're going to play that. And, again, I pardon pardon the sound quality. Uh, it, it is what it is, but here we go. I'm a family physician and pediatrician. I've been practicing medicine for about 12 years. And I've had to, as a physician, address the life of the mother exception. I had a pro-life woman in my office was completely against all abortion. She had a two-boy topic pregnancy. She was told by the OB 
that the baby cannot survive, 0% survival rate. And so he urged her to get a methotrexate abortion. Now, you don't have to do a methotrexate abortion. As a matter of fact, it's standard of care is watchful waiting because the vast majority of these, these babies will die and the pregnancies will subside on their own. The mother doesn't need surgery. She doesn't need an abortion. But he, he was protecting himself, and he ordered a methotrexate abortion. And three weeks later, this woman was bleeding profusely. So he did an ultrasound. To his horror, he discovered there was a pregnancy in his uterus. See that she had twin pregnancies, one the fallopian tube in the uterus, or, as has been well documented, the, the tubal ectopic pregnancy dislodged and reattached in the uterus. And it turns out methotrexate abortions are not good health care after all because it killed the baby, both babies possibly, or at least the one that uh, would have been a healthy pregnancy in the uterus. And so this woman was horrified to discover that she was unable, unable to conceive later on. This pro-life woman. God's word forbids trying, attempting, intentionally trying to kill a child. But if you facilitate delivery of a child and the child inadvertently dies, that's, there's no crime that's been committed. There's no ill will or malice there. The Dublin Declaration is a statement of physicians in Ireland that are trying to prevent abortion being legalized in Ireland right now. There's a tremendous push to justify it based on the exceptions. The exceptions is like the little pinprick hole in the dam where the water starts leaking out. And it's just a matter of time for the dam covers coming down. And they're trying to, based on the uh, life of the mother exception, justify and legalize abortion in Ireland. And these physicians are saying it's never necessary to kill the baby. You can facilitate delivery and try to save the mother and the child. You do not have to dismember and kill these babies. Some have argued I'm pro-life, but I need to make this exception. We've got to allow the killing of um, babies conceived through rape. We've got to allow the killing of babies conceived in incest or, or babies that might be born deformed or babies who might die anyway. When you make exceptions to the divine prohibition against killing, you do have violated that commandment. You know, James 2.10 says he that keeps the whole law and offends in one point is guilty of all. And a murderer has no eternal life abiding in them, whether you've killed one or a hundred. And so you can't say you're compliant with God's standard for life, that is, never intentionally kill an innocent child, and yet you've intentionally killed an innocent child. That violates the law of God, and he is the author of right and, right and wrong. Relative morality fails to, to justify itself, much less a standard by which we can live. God is the author of right and wrong. God said it's always wrong to intend to kill an innocent person. And the devil's out there giving people alternatives. Yeah, it's wrong most of the time. But you can make this exception. What do we think of a man who's been faithful to his wife? His whole life, but he makes an exception on a business trip with his secretary. He's an adulterer. I don't care if he was faithful most of his life. In the same way, if you've never killed an innocent person except one time, you're a murderer. And you've violated God's standard and you need to repent. God's ways are always the best way to live. I'm telling you that um, I almost killed her giving birth to her when she gave birth to me. And I and I tweeted her back. I'm like, whatever. And, uh, it, you know, she didn't mean anything negative by it. She was just being silly. But about back in September of last year, um, I, get, I called my mom up, and I and I asked her, and I said, okay, Mom, what actually happened to me? And um, she that's when she really started telling me that I was an ectopic pregnancy. 
she went in the hospital, as I said, um, with um, medical complications. Actually, as she shared with me, she was bleeding. And um, they wanted to abort me. But her words were, if my baby has to die, then I will too. And when you think about that, to me, it brings to mind the scripture where Jesus said, no greater love has a man than this, than a man that would lay down a life for his friend. But in this case, it was a mother willing to sacrifice her life for a child. And in the actual birth, birth process, because here's the ironic thing. They were willing to perform a C-section to say, to abort me, because they would have had to be in a tubal pregnancy. There's no way you would have been able to use an abortion instrument. But they were not willing to perform a C-section to save my life. You can't really describe the emotions knowing that your mother, the lady in which you spent the nine months, or in my case, the seven months, that she was willing, despite all the risk to her giving birth to me, she was willing to say, my my baby's life is more important than mine. That takes strength and courage. And really all I would be able to say is thank you, Mom. Thank you. To those who support the exception. Why is it that because I was not conceived under circumstances that you find desirable, why is it that my life is expendable to you? And wow, that that is a powerful testimony, Thomas. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was that was our Thomas Smith. Uh, on the pro-life without exceptions, like without exception documentary, and he was preceded by Doctor. Uh, what was his name? Tony Johnson. Uh, let me get this right. I'm sorry. My fault for not looking carefully. James Johnson, who is a doctor of family medicine and pediatrics, describing uh, how, in under no circumstances, is an abortion really necessary necessary and there have been so few documented cases of anything threatening the life of the mother such that they couldn't save a baby one way or another abortion is always a choice to kill so Thomas um, wow that was what was it like to be on this to be asked and to be on this documentary. So tell us a little story about how you got to be on this documentary. Well, 
my friend Judah Myers called me up and asked me if I wanted to be on the video, and I said, uh, sure, why not? And he passed my phone number on to the documentary filmmaker, and, uh, you know, and that's how it happened. Truth of the matter is that I hate, I really hate talking about myself. And, uh, but it's, it's a story that needed to be shared because, you know, say, for example, if someone was to pass legislation and got rape and, um, incest, um, abortion outlaw, just absolutely outlaw, the one last the one last line of defense, if you will, that pro-aborts will call themselves having would be medical exception. But Mm -hmm. based on how the doctor explained it, he said that 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 is the only way that that I could have possibly survived the difference is, is that I did not fully make it out of the colloquium to into the union. At some mm-hmm. point, I stopped. So I, I was actually, which I think is even rarer than an ectopic pregnancy, I was a partial ectopic pregnancy where right. I was in a tube in any other place, whether it was the uterus or... What other, whatever other part of the body of my mom that I was in, and her tooth still ruptured, and I'm happy right. to say that she is still alive today. So. Yes. Well, praise God, she is still alive, um, and you are alive. And this is a, I, I posted this several times on Facebook, saying describing this documentary as a series of stories. And, and you're just, I mean, I think there was at least eight, eight to ten stories of people who have lived through those that we call exceptions. Um, and all of them had a beautiful story of triumphing, and this is about triumphing, over those circumstances that brought them to this point, whether it was from rape or from incest or from a child that was told, they had a they had a condition that doctors recommended abortion for, um, or or something else justifying abortion, and you know being told that their lives would be horrible and and insufferable if if a baby were brought to term and born and survived and lived. But their stories are is not only did we bring this baby to to birth, our lives are so much more blessed and wonderful and richer and better because this baby is now in this wor- in the world. And a lot of them are, are full-grown adults, such as yourself, right. such as our friend Judah, and I know she's listening. Hey there. And our friend Anna and, anybody, and all these people who have been in the video and right. this is a story, it's a great story of triumph. And so I really recommend everybody taking the time 
to really watch this. And now here's the thing. Here's the thing that I wanted to ask you. So um, as far as your circumstances go, Thomas, you are even the you are the most rare circumstance that probably anybody's ever heard of. Yeah. And you are you are you may be like the exception of exceptions. Now, what do we? Let me have let me ask you this question. Um, and I'm, I'm I've had trouble trying to 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 ask this question in my mind without making a paragraph out of it first. But if pro people who support abortion want to make keep, I should say, want to keep abortion legal, not only do they want to keep abortion legal, they want it on demand without apology. That's what they want. Right. If they use exceptions as rape, incest, and being happening happen to be, I guess, implanted in the in, in the mother's body in the wrong place, such as yourself, mm-hmm. as an excuse, as as an exception to keep abortion legal, if exceptions can keep an entire practice legal, then why can't you, as the exception to the exceptions, make an argument for it not being legal? Does that make any, wow. sorry, does that make any sense to you? <laughs> no, that that makes a whole lot of sense. Actually, that that is a very compelling argument. The fact that I am the exception to the exception, because I think the statistic is that 95 to 98% of all ectopic pregnancies die. Yes. The vast majority do. Yeah, so when you have an exception to the exception, that basically slams the door shut on their argument. But, unfortunately, the narrative that we're up against that is that, for some reason, society don't think too, too highly of pregnant women. And hear me out on what I'm saying. Because if they did, they would consider the fact unless a woman is completely out of her mind, very few pregnant women anywhere on this planet would ever choose her own life over the life of her unborn baby. Mm-hmm. That is... That is a medical fact that the pro-abort, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, National Abortion Federation, any and any other pro-death organization, there is nothing they could do to to uh, 
despite that, and I and I'm gonna say one more thing because um, Letitia, you know me better than probably a lot of people, and um, one of the things that you know I absolutely hate is division. I absolutely hate it, and um, what what has happened is that the enemy has driven a major wedge. There is a war going on within the pro-life movement, not in the abortion movement, but in the pro-life movement. And folks, I'm gonna tell you now, I'm about to, I'm about to destroy that argument once and for all. I, I fully well understand that 80 percent of the pro-life movement is okay with abortion in some form, under the exceptions. We're not, but here's the problem. Here is the problem, folks. If we, as the pro-life without exceptions, if we want to put ourselves in category, we have to have viable legislation being prepared. And to those who are for pro-life with exceptions legislation, okay, if you think that that is the best tactic to get legislation prepared, okay, I disagree with that. But let me but let me point something out to you. Two things: one, even when legislation with exceptions are passed, every single time, one hundred percent of the time, Planned Parenthood, NARAL the National Abortion Federation always bring lawsuits. So my question sure. is, of course they do. What, where, what was the compromise for? They're not compromised. And two, well, yes, that's hold on, true. Hold on, hold on. Let me let me make my second statement, and then Letitia, you can reply. Okay. Two. If you're going to say to those of us conceived in acceptance under the exceptions clause that you believe that it's best to have bills with the exceptions in it. Okay, so answer me this question then. How come while you're preparing these bills, do you not have other people on your staff preparing bills without the exceptions clause? In other words, working towards the final solution of having abortion eradicated across the board. Could it be because you don't really want exceptions done away with? What is it? So that's my question. And tell me what you think with this, Sean. Well, that's a very good question. Um, I'm going to have to come back to that. I'm going to take a really quick break, and then we'll come back on the other side and see if we can answer some of those questions and talk about that. All right? All right. All right. We had a whole plan that sold abortions, and it was called sex education. Break down their natural modesty, separate them from their parents and their values, and become the sex expert in their life so they turn to us. When we would give them a low-dose birth control pill they would get pregnant on or a defective condom. Our goal was three to five abortions from every girl 
between the ages of 13 and 19. The multitudes of people that have been hurt by abortion, it's just unfathomable. That abortion is really, to me, the ultimate exploitation of women. It is so shameful and secretive that many women don't tell anybody that they've had an abortion. They won't say anything for 20, 30, 40, 55 years. They're so traumatized with silence. The U.S. Senate report states, physicians, biologists, and other scientists agree that conception marks the beginning of the life of a human being, a being that is alive and is a member of the human species. There is an overwhelming agreement on this point in countless medical, biological, and scientific writings. Planned Parenthood is expanding now. They're building gigantic abortion clinics in anticipation of socialized medicine. There's a lot of money involved. We never would take personal checks. We always encourage the ladies to bring cash. Why is that? So, a lot, you don't have to report cash, friend. When you're fighting for your life, you need to know what you're fighting for. And if what you're fighting for is life, how do you destroy a life in an effort to fight that fight? fighting so hard to save myself that I'll kill someone else to get that. I recognized I'd been involved in the death of 35,000 babies. And the truth has really come out about what abortion does to women, let alone the unborn baby, our dead babies. It will be over. And we're back. Um, so thank you for joining us on Pro-Life Fridays Radio. And as we deal with really, really hard questions, what about the exceptions that people make for abortion? Um, first of all, I want to make it very clear. Uh, my personal position is that, <coughs> excuse me, that just because um, our, our legislators write exceptions into laws or bills that can potentially become laws and they do this for political reasons those most people don't aren't okay with that so i mean when when you say thomas that abortion is okay that 80% of the pro of people who identify themselves as pro life are okay with exceptions i'm not sure being okay with is necessarily the right term i'm certainly not okay with it i don't think anybody who is genuinely pro life that believes abortion is a moral wrong is okay with that but at the same time we have the people have to realize we live in a world where uh, having it 100% right away may not be a reality. And that's not the same thing as being okay with exceptions. So that's where I'm at. I'm not okay with that. But it's a reality we live with. And now, second, are we striving to eliminate those exceptions from laws? I sure hope so. 
Now you, you're saying that we aren't and we don't. I I don't know that we aren't and we don't. I certainly know that uh, the the state senator we had on our show before did not want exceptions to be put into the the bill uh, where he was at in um, I believe it was. I'm going to flub this up. I think it was South Carolina. That's right. No, he was South in Carolina. Arkansas. Actually, oh, Arkansas. he was in Arkansas. Oh, sorry. Arkansas, Arkansas State Senator. I know that he did not want to have exceptions, but again, he just he didn't determine uh, what the bill looked like at the end of the day. So there are we ha- I mean, this is the way our government works. We have to be uh, more than just one person deciding what legislation looks like, and people do have right. the freedom to change things around, and you have to decide overall what are you going to vote for. Right. Um, and so that happens in a lot of states. Now, last week I talked about, and the week before I talked about the state of Oklahoma, which is by far has been the most advancing pro-life state in the continental United States. Well, in the United States. So much so that even the Huffington Post wrote a story complaining. It was it was this, yeah, it was a complaint. Complaining in, in the way that, that liberal storytellers complain by trying out a sob story about a couple who could not obtain a late-term abortion in Oklahoma. So they had to drive all the way to Houston, Texas to have their late-term abortion, and it was all about how difficult it was for them to go and obtain it. It would be so much easier if a local homeland would just allow them to have their late-term abortion. Oh, you know, have a heart, Oklahomans. That's the way the story was presented. And uh, we ta- I talked about that at length and how utterly, well, this is the Huffington Post, after all. What, what do we, we expect? Um, so we, let's talk about those questions a little bit later. On our line with us, we have our, guest, our other guest today, and I would really love you to meet her because she is just another awesome voice. And it was so utterly providential that I looked her up, I found her number, she had an accessible phone number, yay! And she is a pro-life speaker because she also was conceived in rape. She does not appear in the documentary, but this documentary that came out this week and me scheduling her on this show were entirely two separate events that only God could have put together. So I I thank you, Jesus. Welcome to the show. Um, We have Monica Kelsey. And are you there, Monica? Yeah, I am. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming on the show. Hey. Um, and I wanted to quickly tell you, Thomas, you have a lot of noise on your end. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the house above me. Okay. Sorry. All right. Just wanted to let you know we can hear that. Uh, so Monica, I will, I will welcome to the myself. program. Okay. And I wanted to, to meet uh, Thomas, who is... Uh, on mute right now, but welcome to the show, uh, and I'll say hello from Thomas to you. <laughs> <laughs> hello, Thomas. <laughs> well, great. I, thank you so much. I 
what I w- was compelling to me about uh, finding about your story was that you, among a handful of outspoken pro-life women who have come forward, share about the story of their birth, uh, specifically that um, you and many others were conceived in a rape circumstance. Correct. Right. And so you fall right. under that category where people kind of, at this t- at this age, time right now, uh, kind of write you off. Oh yeah, uh, as absolutely. As a separate they do. category, as a separate kind of person, as a separate kind of human being, if they acknowledge you're a human being, a separate kind of human being than all of the rest of us who were not conceived in a rape circumstance. So tell us yeah, they, the story they, of how you got to where you are here today. Well. <laughs> I, how how much time do we have? <laughs> um, as much as no, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, three years ago, I, I I was adopted at birth, and and three years ago, I reconnected with my birth mother, and discovered um, that she was 17 years old. She was brutally uh, and violently raped and attacked. Uh, one man held her down. One man raped her, um, mm-hmm. and as a result, she became pregnant with me. And um, she did press charges, um, charges were filed, and um, at the advice of her mother, I, I mean, this was a small town in Ohio, um, everybody knew everyone, and, and um, you know, of course, my birth mother being pregnant at such a young age, she was going to look like, um, you know, the slut of the town, or she was asking for it, or, or you know, what have you, and um, at the advice of her mother, she went to a back alley abortion clinic, and I was almost aborted. Um, and she changed her mind at the last minute while standing in front of the very man that um, that was going to take my life. And uh, she left the uh, the back alley clinic that day. Her mother was very upset with her, um, but her mother hit her from the outside world. Um, she gave birth to me and, and never even looked at me. Um, she gave birth to me in a hospital, and she left the hospital two hours later and abandoned me there. Um, so I'm very blessed that um, she wow. placed me in hands that were able to take care of me. Um, and, you know, back then it was like, oh, my gosh, we have this baby. What are we going to do with her? I spent nine days in the hospital because no one knew what to do with me. Um, and um, by the grace of God, my parents, um, you know, they um, they had been wanting a child. And on uh, June 8th of 1973, I was placed in their care and um, uh, absolutely the best answer to any prayer that I've ever had. So, I, you know, I've grown up in a very Christian home. I, I am very blessed. But to know the circumstances concerning my my birth, um, I couldn't sit in the back of the room and, and say nothing anymore. Um, I used to be pro-life with exceptions because I, I always thought that the, the woman should never have to carry the child um, that, you know, is going to remind her of this man and then give birth mm-hmm. to this child and look at this child. You know, I was I was those people. I was the ones making excuses for these women. And mm-hmm. now I find myself sitting there thinking, what was I thinking? You know, these these children did not deserve that. And I had to reevaluate and educate myself. And once mm-hmm. I decided to start speaking up, um, it, it became very evident that I, I needed to be this voice. And I, and I followed God, God's path. Um, I left a $52,000 a year job uh, to speak and, and, and basically make, you know, pennies compared to what I was, uh-huh. but you know, it's, it's the glory of God that we, you know, that, you know, he died for us. We live for him. 
that's right. that's I know how that you know is. I, right. we have we have we have to do what what he wants us to do and and uh, I I don't know how much your guests know about me but I'm a firefighter and a medic and uh, I still work part time as a firefighter and a medic because I love saving lives and I kind of when I speak now I I kind of joke that you know I save lives during the day on my day job and I try and save babies now at night and how awesome is my God to allow that, me this life to lead? Yeah. Well, let me tell you, so, that is probably about the most awesome thing <laughs> that yeah. that could be put together. I think that, I mean, because people have this innate respect for our firefighters and for people with, um, with EMT skills, mm-hmm. uh, because we, we rely on people like that. We understand this is kind of uh, medicine in its purest form save lives and not to take lives. Um, I I think that showing, you know, how you're pro-life in a profession as well as pro-life in the moral sense and when it comes to abortion, I think is really just showing how a person can be whole in their thinking Mm -hmm. about being pro-life. Um, well, you know, so, I, yeah, was listening, I, I was listening. Yeah. I was listening to you guys before, and Thomas was making some very excellent arguments. You know, when I speak, I always, always have people that you know we are preaching to a pro-life community when we talk about exceptions. You know, I don't go into a pro-choice crowd trying to change their minds. I am talking to pro-lifers to try and get them to be 100% no exceptions. And you know, being a firefighter, I understand. You know, a lot of people say, you know, the burning building analogy. You know, if there's five kids in a burning building and four of them are conceived with wine and roses and you have the one raped child in there, you're willing to sacrifice the four and not pass a bill just to save the one? I mean, you hear this all the time. And me Uh being a firefighter, I can – this analogy doesn't work for me because for starters, these children in this burning building, this house isn't on fire yet. You know, this bill hasn't even began, begun to be passed. These kids are standing on the front lawn looking at each other going, you know, why are we any different? You know, and being right. a firefighter, do you honestly think that if a house is burning that any of my brothers and sisters are going to stand outside this house and watch one child die? Absolutely not. You know, and when you said pro-life in my, in my medical field and, and being a firefighter, you're absolutely right. We do not hold exceptions for anyone in these houses. It could be a sex offender. It could be a rapist. It could be a murderer. We don't mm-hmm. care. We go in there and we pull them out because their life matters, period, period. You know, and, and these, these exceptions, you know, and I understand when people say we have to pass these laws and then go back for the exceptions. If we can pass this law to save one, you know, we can go back and save the other. The, I'm sorry, if we pass the law to save the 99%, we can always go back and save the one. Well, statistically, we don't go back and say that we've never went back for the 1%. You know, and and Thomas and I are in that exception spot where we take it Mm -hmm. personal because we're talking about our lives. You know, what if we said, well, let's just be pro-life except for Islamic babies, okay? Because, you know, know, Islam, uh, these people burnt our our towers down in in New York City. I mean, really, that's playing on people's hearts because 3,000 men and women died at the hands of these people. Let's just make exceptions for them. I mean, how, how much would, would this country be in an uproar? It would be crazy to say that. Well, that's how Thomas and I feel. It's crazy for these people to say that my life is expendable simply because my birth father is a rapist. 
I'm right. no different than anyone else. Right. And, you know, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm better than anyone else because I'm not. I'm saying that I'm equal. You know, my right. life is as right. equal as someone that is conceived with wine and roses. I shouldn't be that exception. So, I, I, you know, I wanted, I wanted to get that out there because when you guys were oh, talking about it earlier, I was an, trying to pipe in, but, you know, I was on mute. Point. <laughs> It's an excellent point. It's an excellent point. And I, you know, I hope our legislators are listening and to realize that eventually that uh, drafting legislation with exceptions uh, built into it is, is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, my, only, my only reservation is that we have two parties, and one, one party overwhelmingly supports abortion on demand without apologies. So they're going to always sneak in ways for abortion to remain legal, at least for some portion of the population. And, you know, and they've chosen rape and incest children and, you know, people with special needs, et cetera, as a category for which to, to use kind of as a stepping stone to wedge their way to make abortion. It's going to be a tug of war, a long-term mm-hmm. tug of war. It has been a long-term tug of war. And, uh, and, and for, for all the reasons we don't like, you know, we don't like that they hold this position, except they are all sitting in office, and this is what they do. And so the only mm-hmm. thing that we can do about it is, is to uh, fight that on a legislative level. And do whatever it takes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, you know, sure. we're not only fighting – Democrats and Republicans. I mean, Eric Cantor is a prime mm-hmm. example. You know, he, you know, this this twenty week uh, fetal pain bill. Mm-hmm. Eric Cantor states that he's pro life. He's the one who introduced the rape exception. It wasn't a Democrat. Right. It wasn't someone right. that supports oh, abortion. Oh, I, I didn't mean to this say was one of us. Right. Yeah. Right. Because and and you know what his reasoning was? Because it would get the bill passed. It would play on people's hearts, which is exactly what Norma McCorvey did in nineteen seventy three. You know, we right. have to get out of that mindset. We can't leave our morals at the front door when we leave the house. We have to take them with us. And that's a very, very good point. Yeah, it's a very disappointing. I find it very, very disappointing that Republicans, and I didn't, I didn't mean to name any particular party, but that's <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> let's admit it's all right. Now that we've opened that door, let's walk, let's charge right through. Today we haven't done it like we've done it before. Oh, yes, many times. But uh, one one party in particular is dedicated to keeping abortion legal on demand without apology, and the other one is having a having a personality disorder about it. And so we we know that as long as uh, there are this is going to be a, a battle. Sometimes legislators do have to pick their battles. I don't hold it against anybody like Eric Cantor. Um, for for putting a rape exception in there, I think it's wrong. I think he should have stood on principle here because if it's not, I mean, he probably thought if it was, it's not going to be me, it's going to be somebody else. Um, then let it be somebody else. I mean, put the blame on the other person. Don't take it yourself. Um, but people have their different reasonings, and as long as this is a, a legislative issue, we can fight legislation with other legislation. Um, but that, is, that is kind of the long haul. That is the long haul of it. Um, I don't agree with any of it. I don't agree we, that we ought to be talking about and arguing about exceptions at all. I think we should either be 100% or, or none at all. But apparently, you know, people like to have that discussion. <laughs> so we're having well, you that, know, that debate. We, yeah, uh, we need to change hearts and minds. 
hearts and minds is where we need to go. You know, legislate is that's great, but this is a war that is being, um, you you know, waged on a much higher power. You know, this is we're we're tearing babies limb for limb. You know, the sanctity of life is just not there anymore. And we need right. to protect these children and we need to protect the mothers because, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of women who, you know, especially the rape, you know, women who have been raped, you know, raped and, and have conceived that, you know, uh, I've, I've talked to many women that regret having an abortion and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, aborting their rape-conceived child. But I have yet to talk to a woman who has chosen life for her child. I've never heard her ever say, I wish I would have aborted my baby. There we because go. She understands the sanctity there of life. There we go. So we need to protect these women and these babies. Hey, right. Monica. I, yeah. This is, this is Thomas. I have a question for you. Sure. my co-host role for a minute. Usually I'm I'm in a co-host role, but I got to be an interviewee today. Um, <laughs> my question to you, because you just said something very interesting. Sometimes as pro-lifers, we need to get down and dirty. And what I mean by that, we need we need to show the the brutal honesty of it. And one thing, and and I'm sure that Leticia would probably agree with me on this. We need to do a show, and I would love for you to be a part of this. That talks about the women who who were raped, they had the abortions and they regret them because every single day we continuously hear the narrative from the pro abortion that oh women who are raped they need to have this option because it's they don't want the demon seed and all the other names that they call them. What do you think about that idea? Because you know what? Many women who have conceived their rape and kept their babies, they have said, you know, you, we love our babies, and that's absolutely the truth. But the mm-hmm. other side needs to be presented so that we can counter the arguments of the pro-abortion. What? Would you weigh in on that? You as well, Leticia. Tell me what y'all thoughts of that idea. Well, I would well, love I think it's to a wonderful... interview women. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, would, I would love to I, women to, to interview them. Yeah, okay. I think it's a great. I think it's a great idea. They need to be heard because you know, honestly, those you know, my birth mother is the hero here. I'm just the one who received her gift. You know, but these women are the ones who went through all the sacrifice, the pain, the, the right. scrutiny, the, you know, the peer pressure to abort. And, you know, that's who we really need to be asking these questions to of should we have exceptions in the law for these women or should we be protecting these women from making a rash decision because of what other people are telling them to do. Exactly. Oh, you hit the nail on the head. And that, that's, what I'm ta- that's what I'm talking about. That's my whole point, and what really breaks my heart, Monica, Letitia, me and Letitia had this conversation. She's actually had to get on me a few times because I, you know, I was bad, but, you know, <laughs> but the reason, the, just the rhetoric that, that has cropped up 
within our movement, and I don't understand, help me to understand how the enemy has so successfully divided us to the point where you have entire pro-life groups who won't associate with other pro-life groups based on names and reputation. I don't understand that. That bothers me. And, and as someone who loves presenting exceptions, when I hear the vitriol that comes from both sides, I'm like, we're supposed to be on the same team. Right. You know? That's exactly right. Help me that's to understand that. Please. I don't get it. You know, I think it's most most of what happened in the 1970s with Norma McCorvey is still happening today. People are playing on the rape mm-hmm. exception and the incest exception with emotions. You know, they're thinking about the, right. the woman. And, of course, the woman going through this, it's horrible. A woman should never have to go through a horrible rape. But we can't punish the child. The child did nothing wrong. Basically, we're, we're aborting a child that is, you know, an innocent bystander, per se, um, of this right. whole situation. And, you know, one of the things that my birth mother told me, my birth mother actually passed away in March of this year. And Aww. one of the things that she told me prior to her passing was it was amazing how something so beautiful came out of something so horrible. And for, for her, when she said it to me at the time, I didn't quite understand what she was saying. You know, I was just like, yeah, you know, haha, great, you know. And, and you know, she was all about laughter. Uh, she was not a negative person at all. She was all about laughter. And uh, when she said that, I didn't quite understand it. But today, I completely understand what she was saying. And this is exactly what these women need to hear, that the rash decision that you are trying to make today, you are going to regret later. It's, 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 it's inevitable. It is going to be regretted later. And look at statistics. Right. These women all over the country that are having these babies are telling you that these women that have these babies, these babies are bringing closure. You know, my, my birth mother, you know, bless her heart, when she passed away, you know, I, I was sitting right beside her holding her hand when she took her last breath. And um, I actually started writing a book years ago, and I'm, I'm finishing up on it, but it's called From My First Breath to Her Last. And it's it's amazing because it doesn't matter what happened in between there. She valued my life enough to give me life, and I valued her life enough to be there when she passed. And that's what it's all about. It's the sanctity Amen. of life. So, you know, there's actually a, another documentary that came out with Thomas's. It's called Conceived in Rape, and it's on conceivedinrape.com that I'm a part of, Pam Stencil's a part of, Rebecca Keesling's a part of. That came out the same day that Thomas's did. So mm-hmm. that's something to, wow. to check out, we're too. To, it's called con- yeah, we're yeah, conceivedinrape.com. Yes. That is cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. That is cool. Um, I, uh, well, man. Go ahead, Leticia. I'm just, I'm just. <laughs> Well, yes. I well, I, I wanted to answer the question that you had asked about um, interviewing women who have uh, regret their abortion, and I would I would be I would love to interview women who uh, regret their abortion, having been raped. I and mean, we've we've had a lot of women on our show who have told about how much 
uh, they regret their abortion. Um, and, and that was not from rape, but, you know, rape is just a circumstance, you know, under which a child was conceived. And I think we forget that. I think I think the, the whole reason why people make exceptions um, for rape and incest and all these other other reasons and a large, largely because of emotions. But I mean, there, I mean, to really wrestle with the the issue at hand is there's the idea that sticks in all of our minds. It's kind of endemic to our society is that we don't believe that women should be pregnant if they don't want to be. And until we deal with that question, because we all, we, especially if they support abortion, they dance all around that question. They never deal with it. Now, what is wrong with being pregnant from the circumstances? Like, as if there is something wrong. We have conceded in the pro-life community. This is why 80% are pro-life with exceptions, because we've conceded that point that there is something wrong with that. And, I mean, God bless our, our, our politicians who have stood against that mindset. River Murdoch, sorry, Richard Murdoch, Richard Murdoch, Pardon me. Yep. Um, very clearly, and and really stood up to the media and said, "What is?" And not in so many words, he had asked, "What is wrong with the child that is conceived in rape?" I mean, he said it differently. He had said that that life is a life from God, and right. oh my gosh, he got. I mean, it was like he was preaching heresy to to American ears, and they went really, really, really hard after him. I felt very bad for him, but at the same time, I mean, he needed to get have the time to defend that view. Of course, they're not going to let him, but we do need to deal with that. And yeah, he, uh, I, in reverse. Yeah. Yeah, I actually got the um, privilege of speaking with him July 17th in Fort Wayne, and he's Amen. amazing. Richard Richard Murdoch, he's am- he gets it. He gets the sanctity of life. And, you know, uh, he's, he's amazing. He really is. I wish more of our legislative politicians or, you know, whatever, would not leave their morals at the door and, and be like Richard Murdoch. We actually have a saying in Indiana um, when Ken Cuccinelli out of Virginia was going up against um, uh, whoever. Yeah. We said, you know, is he going to be murdoch because Murdoch was basically blasted by by Joe Donnelly, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then and he, he tore him apart. And basically, Ken Cuccinelli was Murdoch. You know, he stood up for the, for all life. And it's time that we change that around. It's time that we look at the people right. who aren't standing up for all life and making exceptions as those kind of people, the people who are standing up for all life. You know, put them Absolutely. on that pedestal. So, well, I, I think Amen. first we get, we have to get that idea out of out of people's minds, and first we got to wrestle with it, with this idea that there is something wrong with a woman who is pregnant, and, and not willingly that there is something wrong with that. And I would say until we wrestle with that, we're going to be missing the heart of that discussion. First, we have to tell people there is nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong right. with being pregnant. Hey, Leticia and Monica, another thing to think about is this. We have the truth on our side. We have brutal honesty. And one thing that we need to do, we need to truly take the take the path that Jesus took. When you when you have the religious folks being very condescending in how they were he called them a food. He called them a brood of vipers, and 
uh, he, he came down hard on us. He did it in love. But here's the problem. We, it is time for us as the pro-lifers, those who, especially those of us conceived in rape and incest and medical exceptions, all that stuff, it's time for us to shine the light in the dark areas of the abortion industry, not just showing the pictures of the dismembered baby, but the shattered lives, bringing the the suicide statistics of those women who have had abortion. And, and, And then we need to paint. We need to paint the abortion industry for what it is. You know, we mm-hmm. have to, we can, we can fight on two planes. We can fight in the spirit and in the natural, but we have to decide what we're going to do. Because if we keep, if we keep saying, hey, well, we can't go after them, we are going, we need to be nice to them. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down the stronghold. When are we going to utilize our secret weapon as prayer lifers, believers in Jesus Christ, can tear down the spiritual stronghold so that we can set people free through Christ who are a part of that industry? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. You, you're you're hitting it right on. You're you're you're. You're uh, hitting Thomas, it exactly have, where people need to think. Go ahead, let's we have a call. Yeah, we have a caller on the line. It is Celeste. Celeste, welcome to the show. Do you have a question for um, either us or for um, Monica? Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. Um, I have, I guess it's more of a suggestion, um, I, a statement and a suggestion. I have a, a several friends of mine and a few relatives who are social workers who deal with many of the things that you all are speaking of today. And um, all of them are personally not pro-abortion, they're pro-life, but for their clients that they see in instances of rape and incest, especially in the area of incest, they are vehemently pro-abortion because they don't feel like it's right to ask that young child, that nine-year-old child, that 10-year-old girl, the 11-year-old girl, to carry her father's, her uncle's, her brother's baby conceived in rape. And I believe that, and I understand where they're coming from, just, just, just looking at the human element. I understand it. It's a horrific. Um, but I think if we can find, within the pro-life movement, if we can find a contingent of pro-life social workers from all walks of life, from every ethnicity, um, and we can get that message out there, give them a voice to speak more loudly than the other voices that are being heard on the other side of the coin, I think we may be able to um, begin putting a dent in the mindset or, or shaving off some of the layers of um, misguided compassion, because I, I, I believe that's what it is, misguided compassion. I mean, you know, God forbid, incest and rape has happened to, in my family, and we didn't necessarily have to deal with, um, we didn't necessarily have to deal with pregnancy. 
thank God. Um, so, and but I would I would pray and hope to God that my heart would fall on the side of life. I don't know. I, I wish I could say without fail that I would choose life, but God help me. Right. I, I pray that I would. I mean, that there are just some things in life that you don't know yeah. what you're going to do until you're faced with it. So, you know, so yeah, that's that. That's all I wanted to say. So. Okay. Well, let's, you know, let's so, have so let's, I guess Monica. Yeah, let's have her. Uh, let's have Monica respond to that, and uh, let's mm-hmm. go from there after that. Go ahead. You know, it's, Celeste, it's um, it, it pulls on everybody's emotions because mm-hmm. it's unthinkable. It's unthinkable that it happens, it and it's unthinkable that these girls are dealing with it, and it's happening mm-hmm. every day. You know, and of course, this this girl that's going through this, you know, especially a nine, a ten, an eleven year old girl. Um, how horrible that she has to go through this, but we have to empower her. We have to let her be the hero because she can be a hero to a child that didn't ask to be born, that did not ask to be here, you know, and in my birth mother, prime example, you know, she didn't want anything to do with me because she said, looking at you, I would have looked at him the rest of my life. And Mm -hmm. I, I get that. I understand that. But I, I lead a life now that, I'm so blessed. Blessed. I, you know, I, I could not imagine my life without my parents. I can't imagine my parents not having me as much as an instigator as I was growing up and how many gray hairs I gave my parents. I can't imagine me not being in their life, you know, and, and, to, find, and to find my birth mother later in life and to bring her closure you know, she forgave my birth father. She forgave the man that raped her. How could, you, how could a woman do that? But she did it, you know, and, and we have to empower these women to make themselves heroes. You know, anytime you ever hear me speak, you'll always hear me say that my birth mother's the hero. I was the one that received her gift. I'm not the hero. Wow. I'm just telling her legacy, you know, and, and she was empowered to make this decision, and she did. She was strong enough to do it. You know, these girls today, don't, they don't think they're strong enough or they're not, they're not willing to make a sacrifice, you know, um, loving something more than yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's, that's the true meaning of sacrifice is, is wow. doing something for your child that you can't do yourself. And I have a good friend. Her name's Christy Hoffenberger. Um, her mm-hmm. father is her grandfather and her mother is her sister. And, oh, you know, her, her mother was, was raped repeatedly for years. And she, there were seven children conceived, and she is the only living survivor. And she's married wow. to a pastor. She, uh, she does have some um, genetic uh, disabilities. But she, you know, I, I speak with her in Illinois a lot. And she's an amazing person that loves life. You know, we, we can't punish these children and say that their lives are dispensable simply because of who created them. You know, we are all God's children, all of us, you know, and and we need to empower these women. We need to Mm -hmm. embrace these women. We need to hug these women, and we need to pray with these women because Mm -hmm. our God is the one who fixes all. He is the one that will will show these girls the way, give them the power, and make them the heroes. That's that's truly what we need to do. And and letting these babies be aborted, it's only only basically candy-coating the problem, and the problem was the rape, you know, and now we're just basically adding more salt to a wound that's already open. Right, mm-hmm. right. And so. Yeah, that, that I was, I was, I, let me add to that. Um, would these, and ask, would these um, 
counselor, um, would they would they recommend or would they even suggest abortion if they knew that abortion would actually make the lives of these girls worse at the end? I mean, they're certainly they want to help these girls, but why would they if they really understood how abortion negatively impacts their lives? Would they continue? Uh, do you recommend that? I think it goes into education. As we have, I, I, I think as we are able to offer them more empirical data, because that, that's mm-hmm. what they're looking for, because I think part right. of that is that they have to justify to themselves first before they can, but before they can give it to their client. If, if, if we can give them empirical data, which basically means stories, and, you know, we know that they love stories, stories of people who have right. survived and who have gone on to conquer and, and just thrive in life with their children conceived and raised. I think when we do that, when we warehouse that information in various places and we give them access to that, I think then we may be able to turn the tide on that. Right. So, well, they need to see these documentaries then that <laughs> we've been talking about. <laughs> what, 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 is, is there a link to them or... I will put the link up in the chat room to, okay. um, to the show right here to the uh, Pro-Life Without Exception. And if we can okay. find us on Facebook, our, and Monica's Facebook page certainly will have information about the documentary she's in. Okay, awesome. And uh, we can get that, yeah, we can get that information out, certainly. You, if you if you go or if if you go to um, Facebook and just type in Monica Kelsey, it'll come up as pro life speaker, and um, oh. I have it on there as well too on the documentary that uh, it's kind of it's kind of weird because most of the people that are in the without exceptions is kind of on the west side of the country, and the ones that are conceived in rape documentary are kind of on the east side. So I'm not sure what oh, wow. how that happened, but but there is two documentaries and they're both amazing. Mhm. Hey, can I jump in here for a minute? Hello? Because I know you little... Okay. You little ladies having an awesome conversation, but I just wanted to say something about someone. Ms. Celeste has spent almost the last two years working closely with me on some things that I was trying to do uh, from a pro-life standpoint. And, uh, you know, her heart is very tender when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the issue of life and comes to the issue of making. And so Mm -hmm. the reason why I want to point this out is because I understand full well what she's saying, that she wouldn't know what she would do if she was ever faced with that situation in terms of rape or incest, but her heart is tender for God, and and she's and she's one of the most, as far as I'm concerned, in my opinion, she's one of the most powerful and loving pro-life uh, partners, if you will, that I've ever had the honor of working with. So I just wanted oh, to wow. say that. So, so. All right. Um, on the 
I we have a very special caller in. It's our friend Judah Myers, who is also in the Pro Life Without Exception uh, documentary. Judah had something that she wanted to share with Celeste, so I decided to put her on. Hi there, Judah. Hey. I wanted to say something. Let me sneak something in here real quick about Monica. Monica's not going to brag Uh-oh. on herself, but let me just tell you, this woman used to be in the Navy. She is um, not only a firefighter, but she's also a 911 medic. This person, when somebody wants to say, oh, they're going to bring in bad genes, I dare anybody who has those, quote, good genes to come up against my friend Monica. <laughs> Monica's awesome. And another thing about Monica is she's not just a, a person out there speaking about her story. She's actually helping women who are in trouble. She takes the time and the effort to help these girls that are going through it right this minute. So, yay, Monica. <laughs> I, need to hire, I need to hire you, Judah. She is awesome. And I've had um, an organization, Celeste, for um, about three years now working with women basically on the street who are pregnant by rape. We've relocated people to different states to get them away from the rapist. We've paid for housing. We've paid for food, baby showers. Um, even mothers who are raising children, it's not just a pregnant woman. We help women with the, you know, food and clothing and rent and everything, even if she's, she's raising her child because she is a hero. And I'm, I'm sectioning out these women as heroes. And I just wanted to let you know that I would love to help. I'm right here in Houston next door to you guys. And... <laughs> Anytime you need anything, we've got rack cards that we put into pregnancy centers, and we we've paid hospital bills, and we're just a little organization. But God has well, made let me let me let me huge. let me pipe in here for just a second, Judah, and brag on you for just a minute. Uh, I've known Judah for a couple of years now, and uh, she's she's not kidding. Uh, when my birth mother passed away in March, she was 57 years old and died unexpected unexpectedly. And, of course, uh, she, they did not have any funeral arrangements or anything ma- made or anything. Um, so I tried to raise as much money for her husband um, as I could uh, to help with the funeral expenses. And Judah was kind enough to send money her way um, from, from Texas to Ohio to help with these funeral costs because m- my birth mother is a hero. So she she doesn't only just help the girls in in need. She helps the mothers who sacrifice so much to bring these girls and, and these boys into this world. So, you know, kudos to you, girl. Kudos to you. Well, you know, I figured if this is my organization, I can do what I want. And if everybody else can pick and choose the people that they want to give and and honor. I can do it too. And so, um, even if somebody has passed away. Um, it's still not too late to honor her. Right. Amen, Amen, Amen. sister. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to let you go ahead and continue your interview. Yeah. Well, awesome, thank you for Monica. calling I'm so in, glad Judah. you're on. All right. Your, checks in, the, your checks in the mail, Judah, for promoting oh, yeah, this. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> not. <laughs> All right. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Yeah. 
But Celeste, I, was, I hope that was able to help you out. And these wonderful ladies have so, they know so much and they have so much information. Um, and you and I would recommend anybody else who has a question to go ahead and look at their Facebook pages and their websites and all the information they put out there. It is not, you know, what, what goes on um, in their ministries is not a secret. They're not trying to hide information. They actually are trying to push it out there as much as possible. So, I mean, the more traffic we can get, the more people will know, and the better it will be, the more informed we will all be. Uh, I hope that helped answer your question. Absolutely, that. it did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you for calling in. I'm going to put you back on hold if you want to keep listening to the show. Um, I, I, I have you guys on the computer. I just needed to call in and, ask, and you know, suggest okay. that. That's all. Okay. Thank well, you, thank lady. you for calling in. Hey, Here thank you, so Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. And I don't want to, I know we are way, way over time with you. (laughs) I I, I kind of (laughs) said maybe we'll end at 6 o'clock for you. But uh, I wanted you to finish, um, Marcus. Please finish and don't leave out those details like I was in the Navy. And it takes Judah to come in and storm in and say, let me let me tell you some more. <laughs> uh, show, share with us a little bit more about your story and uh, what do you do now as a pro-life speaker? Well, you know, I, tra- I travel the world. I'm actually heading to South Africa on December 3rd with Pam Stencil. Uh, she's kind of hitting the abstinence section in South Africa when I speak on the pro-life side. She's also a pro-life speaker too, but her forte is um, is abstinence speaking. So she's speaking on that, and I'm speaking on the pro-life side and, and taking my birth mother's story to Africa. And uh, I just got back from Ecuador. I um, actually spoke at their Congress. They're uh, an abortion-free country accepting cases of rape and incest that they're trying to pass. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they brought me in to um, try and offset that, and it worked. Um, they did not pass. And actually, the um, the president in Ecuador said that he would resign if they did pass um, and, and legalize abortion there. Wow. So they get it down there. But I, I travel all over the United States. Um, like I said, I'm outside of the country too. Um, I can't hang up my um, my medic and my firefighter helmet just yet, though. I, I feel like God is is still kind of putting me in that role. It's it's kind of nice because I'll. You know, I'll be speaking to somebody, um, you know, even in an ambulance, you know, uh, I get people that recognize me because a lot of people in Fort Wayne, my posters are all over and, and it's good for me to be able to um, connect with them on a different level, you know, and um, so I, I'm, I'm not going to hang up that helmet just yet. Um, I, I love saving lives. I, 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 I just love what I do. And um, I'm such, I'm so blessed that God has allowed me. Uh, this life to lead. Um, like I said, my birth mother passed away in, in March um, mm-hmm. at the age of 57. Um, she was with me when I took my first breath, and I was holding her hand when she took her last. And I have to say that's probably the most proud moment that I've ever had because um, the value of life there. You know, the, she valued my life when I was born, and I valued her life when she passed. And um, so, you know, that's what it's really about is, is valuing life. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I hate, and I, it, everybody tells me, you got to promote yourself more. I hate putting myself out there. Yeah, I was in the military. I did eight years, but it's like, that's just a part of who I am, you know? Um, and, and I think that's the road that I had to go down to get to where I am today. I was adopted into a, um, 
a family where my birth or my adoptive mother was kind of like the driver of the car. My dad was always the passenger in the car, um, kind of a forte. Uh, he would always say, honey, what do you want me to do now? She'd say, sit down. He'd say, where? You know, my mother was the, the you know, I had a very strong role model as a mother. And I think that's exactly what God had planned for me because I wouldn't be able to stand up in front of people, have people call me the spawn of a rapist. Your mother should have aborted you. She should have had that right. You know, if if I wouldn't have had such a good role model to teach me how to stand up for what I believe, you know. So there's so much to my life that um, I've I've been on this path since the beginning, and, and now that I've finally accepted it, it's like I'm walking and I can see my steps now, whereas when I first started down this journey, I was walking without seeing where I was stepping next. But as soon as I said, okay, God, <laughs> I'm giving you it all. You just tell me what what you need me to do. It's like, I, I'm seeing everything that's clear now. This this is what this is why I'm here. I have to be this voice for these children that can't have a voice for themselves yet. And in, until right. abortion is not only illegal, but it also is unthinkable, then I will sit my hats right. down and 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 continue um, to go down a different road. But until then, um, I, I I don't think God's done with me yet. Amen. Um, but I, I, yeah, I have, have one... I do have a. I do have a website, it's monicakelsey.com. I do blog for Life News, Life Site News. Um, I, I do help some rape victims here in Indiana. We're getting ready to pass a law um, where the rapist doesn't have any parental rights because in the, the states, actually, they do have parental rights, um, and uh, that's something that's, that's big right now. We're also uh, promoting, uh, with me being a firefighter, the safe haven law. We always hear about these babies that are being thrown in the trash. Uh, well, another side of um, of me is promoting the safe haven law, and uh, we're coming out with some graphics in the next couple of weeks, um, some promo items. Pam Stencil, I've, I've been picked up by her company. Um, she's promoting me now at Enlighten.com, um, uh, so we can get these you know these images out there. So these girls that um, see these images before there's a crisis, instead of right. after, and they don't know you know, what they've just oh, done to their baby. Nice. So so there's a lot going on in the Monica Kelsey camp, but um, uh, I think this is just the beginning. Uh, I think you guys are going to see a lot more of me in the, the months to come. That was That is awesome. I have one, one question um, that I've asked our other guests that do a lot of speaking um, in pro-life circles, and, and how is the reception? Because – you're, we are in that one percent niche where people don't like to talk about it. <laughs> they don't. Mm-hmm. They really don't. Um, how has how has your message been received? Um, you know, I get a lot of people that um, come up to me afterwards. You get this a lot when you speak. People come up and say, "Thank you for speaking." You know, you you brought a different view to the table. You've given me something to think about. Um, and that's really what I'm doing. That's really that's really what God has planned for me when I'm out there speaking. My job is to plant that seed. So when they go home that night, they're still thinking about what I've given them. They're still thinking about Monica, the firefighter, and those four kids in that burning building, how she's not going to leave that one behind. You know, I, I, I give them things to think about, but really they're the ones that are going to uh, be the ones that change their mind. But we just have to give them the education. We have to drop that seed. You know, um, so they so they get it. You know, when when I was pro life with exceptions, I didn't get it. I wasn't educated. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I, I didn't know enough about the pro-life. I didn't know how they killed a baby during an abortion. I just thought, okay, it's once there, second, it's gone. You know, and I was thinking it was an it. Now you'll never hear me call it it. It is a baby. Right. You know, it is, it, it is not a fetus. You know, it is, it is a baby. And it's like education is the key right now to, to turning these hearts and, and minds. And, you know, a lot of times when I speak, I, I touch very briefly on my birth father because I have been in contact with him. I have spoken with him. And that always comes up at the end of my speech. I always do questions and answers, and I always have one person that says, have you forgiven your birth father? And I have. Right. You know, um, how can my birth mother forgive a man who violently beat her, raped her, why one man held her down, you know, and, and then left her on the side of the road to walk three miles into town? You know, how can she forgive him and me not? You know, and, and I, I had to accept that. And I actually sent him a letter, and I told him that I had forgiven him. He's a very broken individual. Um, he is married. He has kids. I look identical to one of his daughters. I don't look like my birth mother. If you go to my website, um, you'll see pictures of my birth mother. I don't look like her. I look like my birth father. And uh, I spoke with Alveda King. And um, I had the pleasure of spending two hours with her in a car driving her to the airport, and we spoke, and I showed her these pictures of my birth father's family. And her, her response to me, and I never thought of it this way, she said, you know, God has placed his looks into you so you never forget where you came from. So you will always fight um, for, for the children that you once was. And, and I never really thought of it that way. That's exactly what I'm doing. You know, so when I look in the mirror, I do see I do see him. My son looks like him, you know, and, um, but forgiveness, forgiveness is the key. We, we have to hate the sin, but love the sinner. And I love my birth father. I do one day when he's in heaven. Uh, and I hope he's asked Christ to come into his life because I want to meet him in heaven and I want to put my arms around him and I want to thank him because if it wasn't for his lousy tactics and his filthy, dirty sin, I wouldn't be here changing lives. Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't be able to right. be in the back of an ambulance doing, you know, chest compressions on somebody that, you know, is in their worst moment of their life. But, you know, he, because of his dirty, filthy sin, one choice that he made made something so beautiful. You know, it's kind of like the diamond in the rough. If, if you guys read my blogs, you know, there, there is a beautiful thing that can come out of dirt, and it's called a diamond, and it's a diamond in the rough. And, and that's how we have to look at these children. These children are diamonds. They are diamonds in the rough. Out of a horrible situation, they can bring peace. So, you know, I, I hope yeah. that um, I've, I've planted some seeds today, you know, with your audience. I hope I've given people things to think about. Um, and uh, I hope if I'm ever in your community or wherever you guys live, um, you guys will come and, and listen to me and um, – um, introduce yourself to me because, you know, I talk well, a lot, you know. Um, right. I certainly will because I, if you live in Illinois, I don't live, uh, or Indiana. Do you live in Indiana? Yeah, yeah, for, right outside Fort Wayne. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you know, I, my family, uh, we don't live in Illinois or Indiana, but we live in St. Louis, Missouri, and that is not oh, yeah. far away. And from time to time we do come to Indiana. So, uh, I'm a I'm a boilermaker. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Go boilermaker. I'm speaking at a banquet in Wisconsin this coming year. Um, I don't know how far that. Well, that's probably that's kind of north, little little farther north from you guys. But if I'm ever, I I, may, I post where I'm at on my website, 
and I post. Well, I haven't really kept the website up so much as I have the my pro life. Facebook page, but I always post where I'm going, so if you're in the area, come. Listen to me speak. Listen to, you know, there's a lot more to the story. You know, you can't really uh, say everything all at once, but, right. um, you know, there's there's so much. There's so much, and, and um, I'm just so blessed to be able to, to do this. Right. Now, tell us the name, uh, the, the URL of your website again and your information uh, before you go. It's com. And um, if you go to Facebook, you can just type in Monica Kelsey Pro-Life Speaker, and uh, I'm, I'm the only Monica Kelsey in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I, I update. I, I have two girls in the state of Indiana that were raped. One was 13, one was 17. Um, we offer a lot of support to them in Indiana. Uh, you can follow their stories. They're uh, open to the media. We've done lots of stories on them. They want to get the word out to, you know, that their children, who they are raising, these two little boys that they are raising are, are gifts from God, you know, and uh, – um, that's that's really what needs to be heard. Amen, amen. Thank you for sharing, and thank you for coming on the show and for uh, staying with us as long as uh, you have. I really appreciate your time and your your just a wonderful story that you've been able to share. And oh, one more thing: what is the name of that documentary that you said was just released this week? Uh, in tandem Conceived with and raped. Go to conceivedandraped dot com. Yep. Conceivedandrapes.com. I'm putting it on our chat room for our audience, uh, our audience listening and also chatting with us. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we definitely will see each other sometime. I would love to put you down as a you know permanent friend of the show because we have I've loved having this interview um, along with you know Judah and and Anna, who are also friends of our show, and just love listening to your stories and being able to share with everybody that uh, things are not as how the supporters of abortion paint them or even the supporters of abortion for the rape-conceived paint them. That is not real life, and we don't need to go by that story. We don't need to accept their story. So thank you so much. I'm going to let you go. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having All me, guys. Right, I really appreciate again. it. I, All right, we thanks. will love having you back again. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right, thank you, later. All right. That was, uh, that was Monica Kelsey, everybody. She's a pro-life speaker, and she, you know, just about three years ago learned of her birth circumstances, her conception circumstances. And, you know, I, I have this feeling in the back of my mind that – this is probably the case with a lot more people in America than we realize. We look at people like individuals that have spoken out, like Monica, like Judah, like Anna, Christy, the plethora of people, um, and, and Rebecca. I mean, I can just, naming these just off the top of my head, a handful of women, I bet you that they represent a huge greater number of people who have been conceived in rape but right now do not even realize it. You know, she just found out her complete story not too long ago. And how many more don't know right now, but we'll find out in the next few weeks, months, or years to come. And I'm hoping that as people find out more about their past, um, that the truth will come out. I realize, I realize anything that has to do with abortion is so, so taboo, especially if you 
didn't, if women did not have an abortion and they gave birth to their child, how much pressure before, during, and after they will receive or have received from those around them devaluing the life of their child, questioning the ability of the woman to be a mother or even a competent human being. And for what? For giving birth to a child she was carrying as her child? Why? I mean, this is, this is I, I am just, I know I've said this before on air. Why do we look at children who have been conceived in rape any differently than we look at any child that's been conceived any other way? Any other way. Let me give you an example from from a different, completely different circumstance to show you why this is not consistent. Why we why people do this and it is totally inconsistent. When we have um, when we talk about reproductive technology, we talk about children who are conceived via in vitro fertilization, via uh, through through either anonymous or known sperm donation, egg donation, through all these types of reproductive technologies with the purpose of forming a child, creating a child so that a an infertile couple, or sometimes not an infertile couple, but a, a, a couple <laughs> that cannot biologically have children, <clears throat> can have a child of their own. And what do we always know? What do they say about children that are conceived in a test tube that promotes in the general public? On an ad, do you want a baby? Do you want a baby? You can have a baby through our great in vitro fertilization techniques, through sperm donation, through all of these medical interventions, these uh, scientific interventions to have a baby. And do they want a test tube baby? Does anybody look at the first test tube baby that was ever conceived, implanted, brought to term, born, and is now living, and say, that's the test tube baby? Does she, is, it, is, it a, is it a slur against her? Do we have children that were donor-conceived children today. And that is another topic for another day on this show. We will definitely talk about it because it is just burning a hole in my head to talk about it, and we will. Do we call those children who are donor-conceived anything different? Are they supposed to be any different than children who were made the old-fashioned way? No. No, we don't. Children who have been conceived and born and raised through technology are not supposed to be seen as any different than any other child born and conceived the conceived and born in the old fashioned way. So why why would we make a separate category for those children who were born or conceived and born also the old fashioned way, minus the good feelings? which we call rape or incest. 
I wanted to link about this um, on my blog. If you want to look at it, I will link to it in the chat room about, and I'm not going to get into it here, about the nature of rape and how it bears absolutely, the bottom line, it bears absolutely no relevance to the life of the child that is conceived. A child who has been conceived in rape is not the father, is not the rapist. And I can't for the life of me understand why or what possesses the pro-abortion community to treat the child who was conceived by a rapist as being as guilty of a crime as the rapist himself. That is, to me, one of the worst forms of discrimination against a human being. Shall I bring race into this and make it extremely clear what I mean by that? Right on the documentary, Pro-Life Without Exception, a woman who was raped, who conceived her daughter, gave birth to her daughter, is now raising her daughter, who's a teenage young woman. You can definitely tell that the, from the daughter, that the rapist was a black man. Because the woman who was raped was Caucasian. Should I, let's push this a little bit and say if, if it's wrong to murder little black babies, why is it wrong to murder a little black baby if that little black baby was conceived in rape? Well, oh well, no, it's not because she's black. It's because she was conceived in rape. Well, really, tell me what the material difference is, skin color versus circumstance of birth. Those are external material circumstances. Your skin color is an accidental property of you. The circumstances of your birth are an accidental property, gave rise to your existence. None of them bear any relevance your humanity or your worth or your value or your intrinsic worth in life, your intrinsic value. So really, if this, is a, this is something that does not matter. And we have these huge, huge pillars, and really they're, they're such humble women tr- just trying so hard to educate the pro-life community to be consistent with the pro-life value that we profess to hold, to just be consistent. And I find it hard to understand why it's so hard to be consistent. Well, rape and incest, it's a serious thing. Oh, yeah, of course it is. It is a very serious thing. Nobody is minimizing that at all. In fact, because it's serious, the life that comes from the life that comes from 
such a serious circumstance should be treated just as seriously and not disposable. Not disposable. How about we take it to, I mean, if we start at that extreme, why can't we go to another extreme and say, well, what if a woman is raped? Her life is not worth living after all. Why don't we kill her? For being raped. They do that in other countries. We consider that barbarism. So how is it that when we kill a child that is conceived and raped through no fault of their own, not barbarism in this country? We're just shifting the victim, shifting the victims around. What happens in other countries where they kill women who have been raped, they imprison women who have been raped, we don't do much different. We just send the child that has been conceived to an early death instead of the woman. In both circumstances, in both places, somebody has to die so that somebody else can live the life they want to or the life they think they, should, they ought to have, either for themselves or for somebody else. And that's the reality. That is the reality of rape. Anyway, we are short on time. I wanted to move on and uh, talk about some of the things that have been happening in the news. And the biggest thing, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because things are still unfolding with the impending uh, shakeup, I should say. So I'm going to say it. it's a shakeup in Obamacare, the unaffordable care, unaffordable lack of care and patient victimization act, as I call it, health control by the abortion administration. Oh, yes, legislatively it is in trouble because things that were promised by the President of the United States are not coming to pass. In fact, the, the opposite, opposite is happening. People have been losing their health insurances. They have been told that they need to buy health insurance that violates their consciences because policies will now cover as part of their premiums and as part of their plans contraception, whether you're male or female. Now, how this makes any sense to me, I don't understand. Why do men who need no birth control pills have to pay for birth control pills on their policy? Well, it goes to help paying birth control for a lot of women you know he's paying for it he doesn't have to use it just by one example but it's always it's all supposed to be better well now those policies that people have enjoyed so far are being canceled even though the president of the united states said that they wouldn't be canceled if, if you liked your insurance plan you can keep your health insurance plan and apparently you can't and now the, the realization is set in that Obamacare is just like all the other regressive schemes that have come out of regressive policies, um, is not as advertised. This is a stark example of something that is not as advertised. So in the House and Senate now, they're trying to remedy this. The White House administration wants to remedy it for just one year. A conservative, more conservative party, the Republicans, wants to remedy it as a matter of principle. And I'm not going to get, over, get into all the legislative details, uh, 
But let me cut to the bottom bottom line here. You're going to see a fairly, fairly nasty war. Uh, Senator Fred Upson is trying to pass a bill that passed in the Senate. Is it Senator? I am so sorry. Fred Upson. Ah, <laughs> uh, I flood this one, didn't I? Yes. Senate Dep- uh, from let me let me just go run to the story from the Hill. The Senate essentially won't bring the Upton fix to Obamacare to the floor so that people's current health insurance plans that they like won't be canceled at the end of the year. The House passed a version of the bill. The Senate is not expected to even bring it to the floor. According to The Hill, Senate Democrats do not expect to vote on the Obamacare fix in the House approved on Friday, that's today, with 39 Democratic votes, according to a senior Democratic aide. The aide said there is not any pressure on the Senate Democratic leadership to bring the legislation sponsored by a representative. Sorry, he's a representative. Got that mixed up. Fred Upton, Republican from Michigan, to the floor. And you know why not? There is a competing bill. They don't want to vote on this one because there is a competing bill in the Senate sponsored by Mary Landrieu. Mary Landrieu wants to come in and ride in as a uh, – ride on her Trojan horse to bring in a bill, Fred Upton's bill does, with the one exception that instead of allowing people to pick, to maintain freedom for both insurance companies and the general public to pick and choose their plans and to keep the ones they like, her bill is going to mandate that insurance companies preserve certain policies indefinitely. Now, this is how regressives work. They pretend to give you something that you need in principle that you should have, but they do it with not just a string attached, they do it with a shackle attached to your leg. So far from being a bill about preserving the free market for the ability of insurance companies and people to make their own decisions, this bill from Mary Landrieu is going to come down as a slave master to mandate what insurance companies can and can't do from here on out. It is another catch-22, like all of Obamacare is. How is this fixing anything, yet it's coming in as a Trojan horse painted white so Mary Landrieu can ride on it and pretend to be a hero? And Fred Upton, well, first of all, he'll be shoved to the side 
in the Senate. They're not even going to vote on it unless you get on the line right now, tomorrow, and complain to your senators, Democrat or Republican, why it's not coming up for, for a vote on the floor or even half a discussion. Why this competing bill by Democrat, by a Democrat, is now going to eclipse it, and then House Republicans are going to be made to either vote on it, vote it up, or vote it down. It's a catch-22. Oh, gee, where have we been before with this? We have been here before. When? Hmm, gee. Oh, I remember it was when Ted Cruz filibustered for 20 hours against the previous fix to Obamacare. And Republicans, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, previous fix to the economy, which was the ending of the shutdown, which was tied to Obamacare because the administration did not want to accept changes, fundamental changes to Obamacare. Let me, let me straighten that out that way. We have been here before. It is, a, it is a very infuriating Democrat trick. They're doing it again. They did it a few months, not, not a few months ago. They did it at the beginning of last month, and they're doing it now. This was, what, six weeks ago? Five weeks ago? And you watch, you watch as Republicans take it on the chin, where they supported Fred Upton's bill. But when that gets buried in the Senate, and it will, it's on its way there, and they don't accept Mary Landrow's bill, they're going to take it on the chin again. Don't be fooled, ladies and gentlemen. You are being played Liberals in Congress are playing not just you, they are playing Republicans, hopefully not for fools, but certainly the rest of America as fools because they don't expect you to be paying attention to what they're doing and painting that Trojan horse white so that Mary Landrieu can ride in on it and pretend to be a hero save the day, but you watch out for that Trojan horse because there's nothing good coming out of that. It is not a bill that preserves freedom and liberty. And in the end, because it's only temporary, uh, that until Obamacare can complete its takeover, only temporary can you have a bill that can you have a, can you, the American public, have a plan that violates the law of Obamacare. So that's only temporary that you can get away with that. It's going to come back to get you sooner or later. Why is it? Why is it that the president had said if the Senate votes to approve the Fred Upton bill, he would veto it? Do you think he's going to veto Mary Landro's bill? Of course not. Think clearly, ladies and gentlemen. Think very clearly about what is happening and don't get wrapped up in the accusations you know are coming from the Democrats to the Republicans. You know what's coming. They're going to accuse Republicans of not 
wanting to help the American public. They normally do. They always do. They're going to accuse Republicans of not wanting to help if they don't support Mary Landro's bill. You wait and you see. This is what's going to happen. But do not be fooled. Take action. If it takes calling your senators, call them. And call out Mary Landrieu for riding that Trojan horse. I could call that the stupidest thing ever. Uh, It probably is. And I'll tell you what the stupidest thing ever is about it. If we allow this as American public, if we allow the Democrats to play this game on us again when they just did it five to six weeks ago when it concerned the, the shutdown and passing the CR, if we let them do that again, we are the stupidest thing ever. Apparently, we can't get angry enough about the way we're treated and the way, the, the way that our legislature is behaving that we won't complain to try to change it. Other than that, we've got plenty, plenty of other news items. I don't think we're going to have time. I don't think we're going to have time to go through them. But let me see if I can pick something that is – oh, yes, okay. Halfway interesting in the time that we have left. Very quick, 30 seconds. Uh, Life News reports that the principal of a school where a teacher named – uh, Larry, Larry Diss, Bill Diss, sorry, Bill Diss, uh, who had been requested, Planned Parenthood had requested to do a presentation in his classroom to his students, and he, being a pro-life person and knowledgeable about Planned Parenthood, refused. He refused to allow Planned Parenthood access to his students. Well, now the administration and Planned Parenthood and the principal want him fired. And they held a hearing a couple of days ago uh, to consider his, his position at the school. More than, more than a few, more than a few, so many supporters came out to help this teacher. I, I hope that uh, this just for your information, I hope that the school decides to do the right thing and realizes that this is nothing to fire a teacher over. They're being petty. And they're being controlled by Planned Parenthood. But this is how Planned Parenthood rolls, okay? This is a, just another example about how Planned Parenthood rolls. So I hope you have enjoyed our interviews today. This was fantastic. Uh, keep abreast on the news. Keep Keep your eye on this show, this Pro-Life Fridays radio thing that we do every week. We are going to bring you the stories and the analysis that you need to know about what's happening from the Pro-Life. Don't be fooled. It is so important. We'll see you next week uh, with another wonderful guest and another wonderful broadcast. Have a good night, everybody, and uh, pay attention to Pro-Life Fridays radio. If you see us on the Internet, our Facebook page is slash Pro-Life Fridays. And on Twitter at PLFR, at PLF Radio. All right, good night, everybody.
Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 